Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You're listening to Dr. Reinhard Hooter, professor of Christian theology at Duke Divinity School, giving a talk entitled Academic Freedom and Revealed Truth. Dr. Hooter's talk was part of the Fidelity and Freedom series at Franciscan University of Steubenville. It might be presumptuous, no, I correct myself, it indeed is presumptuous, to compare myself to the Apostle Paul. But may it be as it is, in this illustrious circle of Catholic scholars and administrators, these words of St. Paul force themselves into my mind. I am the least of the apostles unfit to be called an apostle. After all, I have never been a student at a Catholic university. Furthermore, all my academic degrees come from Protestant university departments and university divinity schools. And last but not least, I do not have the mandatum even now. Although a Catholic for 10 years, I still teach at an ecumenically oriented, but nevertheless, Protestant divinity school. But there are the happy memories of teaching for one year at Providence College, founded and still run by the Dominican Order. Also, five years ago, I was asked to make myself available as a candidate for the presidency of the one and only Catholic university in Germany. In the process up to being elected, I immersed myself deeply in the promise and problematic of Catholic universities in modern secular societies. In the end, it turned out that due to intercontinental system incompatibilities, it was impossible for me to take on the position. The intellectual preparation was, however, not wasted. Indeed, the experience continues to deeply shape me, and uh, it indeed has been deeply formative. Despite this smattering of experiences in Catholic institutions of higher learning, the following reflections are clearly not those of a long-time seasoned participant, let alone partisan, in the debates antecedent to ex corde ecclesiae and those subsequent to it. Rather, what I have to say comes from a sympathetic and engaged observer. I was asked to address three questions in conversation with the Apostolic Constitution ex corde ecclesiae. First, what is academic freedom? Second, what is revealed truth? And third, how does revealed truth relate to academic freedom? The three questions presuppose, however, one other important question, which I will address first. What is a university? Indeed, what is a Catholic university? We may consider the answer to this question to be right at hand, if we think that an empirical answer will suffice. After all, we are right now gathered in a Catholic university of note. Furthermore, in order to find the answer to what a university is, we simply could consult the landscape of American institutions of higher learning, a landscape that the cartographers of American higher education usually divide into three sections. A bit like Caesar and the Gallic Wars, you know. Gallia divisa est, you know that from your Latin course here. Um, so in the first section, we find the top tier American research universities, as we should expect, those that, according to the Carnegie classification of institutions of higher learning in the United States, are called RUVH, doctorate granting research universities, 
with very high research activity. About 70 of the roughly 100 universities of this category, we are told, have endowments that in 2012 exceeded $1 billion each, Harvard leading the list with $30 billion plus. There are three Catholic research universities that, according to this conventional cartography, belong fully to this section. The University of Notre Dame, Georgetown University, and Boston College. In matters of endowment far off, but in matters of academic substance and research potential much closer to this section are the Catholic University of America, Marquette University, Fordham University, and St. Louis University. Another section is marked off for the small and exclusive club of private liberal arts colleges with large endowments. These colleges can afford to be extremely selective in their admissions and are consequently able to make a viable promise that most, if not all, of their graduates will be accepted into prestigious professional schools and PhD programs of the leading secular research universities. Maybe the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, might be a typical example of the few Catholic colleges that belong to this section. The third section is reserved for mid-size to large state universities and smaller and mid-sized Christian liberal arts colleges and universities, including most Catholic universities, that have comparatively small endowments and are consequently by and large tuition-driven and hence dependent on a stable and ideally increasing student enrollment. The numerous Catholic teaching universities, universities with large undergraduate programs, some master programs, and few small, if any, doctoral programs belong to this section. Many of these Catholic universities have an explicit and strong Catholic profile and are deeply committed to the ideal of the Catholic university. The Franciscan University of Steubenville, Ave Maria University, the University of Dallas, University of St. Thomas, St. Paul, University of St. Thomas, Houston, stand first and foremost among them. While surveying such a map might help us to get an idea of where to find what kind of Catholic university, such an empirical approach quite obviously does not get us any closer to answering the question, what is a university? While there are quite obvious family resemblances between the institutions grouped together in these sections, the nature of a university is neither quite exhausted nor exactly captured by simply cataloging such family resemblances. It is furthermore quite an interesting fact worthy of contemplation that many colleges, admittedly quite often for tangible, pragmatic and pecuniary reasons, but not only, are striving to upgrade themselves to universities. And they do this without explicit references to tangible family resemblances that they, formerly colleges, now might share with those institutions of higher learning that call themselves universities. This widespread trend among what one might call upwardly mobile colleges suggests, among other things, that the very notion of university has the character of an idea, a norm, a standard, to which institutions of higher learning and of advanced research are willing, indeed eager, to conform themselves. It is by way of, these, of this idea, norm, or standard that they mutually recognize and acknowledge faculties, students, and degrees, and by way of which they make each other available for mutual accountability 
in various assessment processes. Hence, in order to address the question, what is a university, we must turn to the idea of a university, an idea that has emerged in the West historically with and in the Catholic university, and that arguably should therefore continue to be most perspicuously realized in a Catholic university. As Pope John Paul II stated beautifully in the opening line of his apostolic constitution, ex corde ecclesiae, quote, born from the heart of the church, a Catholic university is located in that course of tradition, which may be traced back to the very origin of the university as an institution, unquote. Two eminent Catholic academicians who have thought extensively about the nature of the university understood this point exceedingly well, namely that the Catholic university, rightly understood and authentically instantiated, should be the paradigmatic realization of the idea of a university. One of the arguably greatest Catholic thinkers of the 19th century, blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman, and one eminent Catholic thinker of the 20th century, the Dominican philosopher and theologian Benedict Ashley, held it as axiomatic that university is essentially related to universe. Newman states in his still highly relevant The Idea of a University, quote, as to the range of university teaching, certainly the very name of university is inconsistent with restrictions of any kind. A university should teach universal knowledge." Unquote. And Benedict Ashley, in his still equally relevant way toward wisdom, confirms, quote, the very term university means many looking toward one and is related to the term universe, the whole of reality." Unquote. Both Newman and Ashley identify three characteristics that are essential to the idea of a university. Characteristics to which I think contemporary universities still have to measure up in order to deserve the denomination university. First, a university is an institution of teaching universal knowledge. While no single university has to teach all extant academic disciplines, a university, differently from a polytechnicum or a college, must in principle be open and aspire to teaching universal knowledge. Second, the unity and interrelatedness of university disciplines reflect the unity and interrelatedness of all knowledge. The university lives indeed from an underlying metaphysical principle, the convertibility of truth and being, so that no truth can contradict another truth, and that all truths are inherently interconnected. Incidentally, the nominalist and now postmodern thesis of the radical incommensurability of the domains of discourse destroys the unity of truth and knowledge, and with it, the very idea of a university. Third, the university is not an accidental, but a per se unity that carries its end or purpose in its constitutive practices of education and inquiry. In short, the de facto unity of a university is constituted neither by a central heating system nor by sundry sports teams, but by practices of education and inquiry and a curriculum that reflects tangibly 
the inherent interconnectedness of universal knowledge. By now, some of you might wonder whether I have not strayed too far from my assigned topic. On the contrary, I had to take this approach in order to prepare one of my three central theses, the first of which addresses the question, what is academic freedom? Here is the first thesis. Academic freedom in its positive sense, that is, authentic academic freedom, realizes the idea or essence of a university, which, as Ex Corde Ecclesia put so succinctly, is nothing but, quote, the Gaudium de Veritate, so precious to St. Augustine, which is that joy of searching for, discovering, and communicating truth in every field of knowledge, unquote. Let me explain. Like every other being in this world, natural or artificial, the university is a specific entity. This entity constitutes the highest species in the genus of school. For the university realizes the genus of school most extensively, intensively, and comprehensively. Simply to exist as a university is its first perfection. To realize its telos or end is its second perfection. Like any other being, a university realizes the telos or end of its essence by way of activities characteristic of its nature. The end of the university is acquiring and conveying universal knowledge. This entails, first, conveying old and new knowledge, second, acquiring new knowledge, and third, integrating knowledge and reflecting comprehensively and critically upon it. Now, quite likely, you will expect me to say, academic freedom is the indispensable ambiance in which the end of the university can be realized. Understood in this way, the point of academic freedom would be to facilitate the university's second perfection. That is, to facilitate the realization of the telos of its essence by way of activities characteristic of its nature. Now, exactly this is the conventional wisdom that, while not completely wrong, turns out to be insufficient, to say the least. For the account of freedom that this understanding of academic freedom as facilitating ambiance presupposes is exclusively the negative freedom of procedural liberalism, the freedom from interference. This notion of academic freedom is too formalistic, too two-dimensional, too ateleological, in short, too unacademic, in order to be worthy of denoting academic freedom in its full and perfective sense, a sense that characterizes the positive freedom for excellence. Academic freedom is not a facilitating ambiance. Rather, exercising authentic academic freedom is nothing short of realizing the essence of the university. In this sense, academic freedom is constitutive of the idea of a university, because the knowledge characteristic of the university is essentially free knowledge, 
which then accidentally can also turn out to be useful. Authentic academic, academic freedom receives its specific sense from the distinction between the artes liberales, the liberal or free disciplines, on the one hand, and on the other hand, the artes serviles, the applied or useful arts or sciences. While the artes serviles may, may be part of a university, they are not essential to a university, but are essential to what should probably be called a polytechnicum. Places like MIT, Caltech, Virginia Tech, etc. Consider again John Henry Newman, quote, knowledge, I say, is then especially liberal or sufficient for itself, apart from every external and ulterior object, when and insofar as it is philosophical, unquote. The freedom denoted in authentic academic freedom is the freedom that arises from the philosophical character of knowledge. But what exactly is this philosophical character of knowledge? In his classic, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, a book that I regard as an absolute must-read for all university faculty, university as administrators and students, I hope you notice it duly, uh, the eminent Catholic philosopher Joseph Pieber offers a helpful clarification. He states, quote, strictly speaking, a claim for academic freedom can only exist when the academic itself is realized in a philosophical way. And this is historically the reason. Academic freedom has been lost exactly to the extent that the philosophic character of academic study has been lost. Or to put it another way, to the extent that the totalitarian demands of the working world have conquered the realm of the university." Unquote. If Pieper is right, and I have good reasons to think he is, the greatest enemy of, academic, of authentic academic freedom turns out to be also the greatest enemy of the university qua university. Its total instrumentalization and its consequent transformation into a polytechnicum under the label of university. What undermines and eventually destroys authentic academic freedom also undermines and eventually destroys the university itself. It is not surprising that under the pressure of, comprehensive, of a comprehensive instrumentalization of all university disciplines in conformity with the totalizing logic of the world of work, namely the by now globalized dynamic of production and consumption, authentic academic freedom devolves into the merely negative freedom from interference. This purely defensive freedom is meant to protect to protect academicians from being turned into pure commodities, that is from random replacement, from economic exploitation, and from politically and managerially manipulated intrusions into their classrooms and into the substance of their teaching and research. In a context of such instrumentalization and hence fluidification of academic work, academic freedom in its most minimal realization is indeed 
negative freedom, the freedom that protects inquiry and teaching from open and hedged attempts at manipulation and functionalization, attempts that aim at substituting the search for truth with the search for utility, or worse, at reducing truth itself to a function of utility. As ex corde ecclesia observes, quote, every Catholic university, as a university, guarantees its members' academic freedom so long as the rights of the individual person and of the community are preserved within the confines of the truth and the common good, unquote. Ex corde ecclesia differentiates here implicitly between, on the one hand, the inauthentic freedom of indifference, which it rejects with reference to the truth and the common good, and on the other hand, the protective negative freedom from interference that can be exercised well only within the confines of the truth and the common good. Severed from the confines of the truth and the common good, the protective negative freedom from interference will always eventually degenerate into the all too familiar freedom of indifference the root of which is nothing but the sovereignty of self-will beyond truth and falsehood, beyond good and evil. While academic freedom understood as negative freedom is not without its importance in the contemporary context of the commodification of higher learning, the quite frequent reduction of authentic academic freedom to the merely negative freedom of protection from extrinsic interference is detrimental. For the fight for and the insistence upon this kind of negative academic freedom not only blocks sight of what authentic academic freedom is, but also of what the root problem is that necessitates this self-protective measure, namely the transmutation of all knowledge into a form of techné and the academicians into hired experts and clerks. Having replaced authentic academic freedom that arises from the Gaudium te Veritate, the joy of searching for and discovering truth, with the computational metrics of research output, the late modern research university has forgone the community of scholars and students, the Universitas Magistrorum et Scoliarium, and only recognizes stakeholders and staff that meet quite accidentally in the processes of knowledge production and knowledge consumption. This problem at the root of the modern secular research university becomes obvious as soon as authentic academic freedom is recognized as nothing but the very realization of the essence or idea of a university. Differently put, authentic academic freedom exists only where inquiry and teaching are ordered to truth and where the community of academicians is reflexively aware of this teleological ordering of the practices of teaching and inquiry. Newman puts this crucial matter the following way, quote, truth is the object of knowledge of whatever kind and when we inquire what is meant by truth, I suppose it right to answer that truth means facts and their relations. All that exists as contemplated by the human mind forms one large system or complex fact. Viewed altogether, 
the sciences approximate to a representation or subjective reflection of objective truth as nearly as possible to the human mind." Unquote. Being ordered to this end, the approximation to a representation of the objective truth as nearly as possible to the human mind, and pursuing this end through the means appropriate to each academic discipline in light of its specific subject matter, by way of inquiry and teaching, is the realization of authentic academic freedom and concomitantly of the essence of the university. With reference to John Henry Newman, Excorde Ecclesia tacitly presupposes the notion of authentic academic freedom when it states, quote, it is the honor and responsibility of a Catholic university to consecrate itself without reserve to the cause of truth. This is its way of serving at one and the same time both the dignity of man and the good of the church, which has an intimate conviction that truth is its real ally and that knowledge and reason are sure ministers of faith. Without in any way neglecting the acquisition of useful knowledge, a Catholic university is distinguished by its free search for the whole truth about nature, man, and God." Unquote. This free search for the whole truth about nature, man, and God is nothing but the very realization of authentic academic freedom. What does such academic freedom look like in the various fields of inquiry and teaching? In the natural sciences, authentic academic freedom is realized emphatically not in the all too eagerly looked for applicability. Rather, authentic academic freedom is realized paradigmatically in the very philosophical reflexivity that enables scientists first to make explicit the antecedent philosophical beliefs and moral commitments they bring to their inquiries and teaching, and second, to maintain the critical distinction between, on the one hand, historically successive models and paradigms, and on the other hand, a transcending truth toward which all inquiry and the very succession of paradigms and models is teleologically ordered. It is the staunch and persistent realization of authentic academic freedom that protects natural scientists from reducing themselves to mere laboratory technicians and to executioners of the research agendas dictated by the biotechnological and the, mili the military-industrial complexes. In the technological and otherwise applied sciences, authentic academic freedom is realized in the reflexive awareness and thematization in the very practice of inquiry and teaching of these sciences, that every applied science, qua applied science, depends on antecedent moral commitments and a concomitant teleology of the common good and of human flourishing in order to make sense as an applied science in the first place. It is not essential to a polytechnicum, but rather to a university and the concomitant realization of authentic academic freedom that these antecedent commitments and the concomitant teleology of the common good be reflected in the context of teaching these applied sciences. According to Excorde Ecclesia, it is precisely, quote, its Christian inspiration 
that enables a Catholic university to include the moral, spiritual, and religious dimension in its research and to evaluate the attainments of science and technology in the perspective of the totality of the human person." Unquote. Unsurprisingly, therefore, in the humanistic studies, authentic academic freedom is realized paradigmatically insofar as the question of being human is thematized and the antecedent ontological and moral commitments are made explicit that drive literary, historical, and artistic inquiry and teaching. Nota bene, all humanistic studies are ultimately forms of moral philosophy, that is, morally committed inquiries into what it means to be human. As Thomas Pfau put it in his recent profound study, Minding the Modern, humanistic studies realize authentic academic freedom by cultivating responsible knowledge, that is, quote, knowledge not merely sought and appraised with regard to its causal efficacy and contingent utility, but integrated into an articulated framework of human ends." Unquote. In philosophy, authentic academic freedom is realized paradigmatically insofar as it is here that the nature of the academic and hence the nature of the university is explicitly thematized and extensively reflected. A prime example would be Edmund Husserl's late work, The Crisis of the European Sciences and Transcendental Phenomenology. In this still eminently relevant study, Husserl undertook a genuine task of philosophy, the way Newman understood it as the true end of all intellectual training as well as of the university itself. Quote, the true and adequate end of intellectual training and of a university is not learning or acquirement, but rather is thought and reason exercised upon knowledge or what may be called philosophy." Unquote. Here we see authentic academic freedom in its fullest realization because when thought and reason are exercised upon knowledge, truth itself is thematized reflexively. Newman puts the matter again succinctly, quote, the comprehension of the bearings of one science upon another and the use of each to each and the location and limitation and adjustment and due appreciation of them all, one with another, this belongs to a sort of science distinct from all of them and in some sense a science of sciences which is my own conception, Newman says, of what is meant by philosophy in the true sense of the word and of a philosophical habit of mind." Unquote. If we spell out the implications of Newman's statement, it becomes plain that every university discipline must be philosophical in order to be academic and thus to realize authentic academic freedom. Unsurprisingly, this philosophy in the tradition initiated by Plato, continued by Aristotle, deepened by Augustine and Aquinas, and renewed by Hegel and Husserl, let alone by the noteworthy Neo-Aristotelian, Neo-Thomist, and Personalist efforts of the 20th century, in short, it is nothing but the expansive tradition of philosophy in the perennial sense that is the genuine guardian of authentic academic freedom. 
Last but not least, and you were waiting for that, I know, we must turn to Catholic theology. Authentic academic freedom is realized paradigmatically in Catholic theology thus. The transcendent truth, truth itself, that is formally the end and goal of all the other academic disciplines, is materially received by divine faith and articulated, interpreted, clarified, specified, and defended in the labors of the intellectus fidei called Catholic theology. Authentic academic freedom in Catholic theology has its primordial and originating urform in the most perfect Christian instantiation of the freedom for excellence, namely the Blessed Virgin's response to the angelic salutation. Fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum. The academic freedom of Catholic theology has thus a decidedly Marian shape, the active undergoing, the active suffering of divine things. Only the revealed truth in its fullness embraced in an effort-deepening effort of the intellectus fidei sets Catholic theology fully free, free from error, free from being co-opted by the spirit of the age, and by the idol of a pure positivist or historicist Wissenschaftlichkeit, free for contemplation of the revealed truth, free for inquiry into the revealed truth, and free for teaching the revealed truth. I had claimed earlier rather boldly that authentic academic freedom and concomitantly the essence of a university and paradigmatically realized and is paradigmatically realized in a Catholic university. How can I make good on such a bold claim? Newman and Ashley understood perfectly well that an authentic Catholic university is most fundamentally committed to the Catholicity of truth, which means that all university disciplines share the common tellers of truth. As Excorde Ecclesia observes, quote, by means of a kind of universal humanism, a Catholic university is completely dedicated to the research of all aspects of truth in their essential connection with the supreme truth, who is God." Unquote. Authentic academic freedom realizes the Catholicity of truth in a comprehensive and integral curriculum that reflects the interior coherence of a potentially universal knowledge and that thematizes the philosophical, academic aspect of each discipline. Unsurprisingly, authentic academic freedom and the Catholicity of truth depend on each other. The Catholicity of truth gives full scope to academic freedom, and academic freedom realizes this scope as the freedom for truth, as it is approximated carefully by hypothesis, experiment, and model in the natural sciences, as it, is dis as it discloses itself phenomenologically in humanistic studies, as it is honed in the process of aporetics and dialectics in philosophy, in its perennial sense, as it is discovered in the free play of mathematics, and as it is contemplated in Catholic theology as received from God directly by way of revelation, incarnation, and inspiration. The Catholicity of truth and the search to which it gives rise is ordered to the final end to which the human intellect itself is directed, 
the immediate vision of the supreme truth, who is God. Hence, by way of conclusion, my second thesis. The Catholicity of truth assures and sustains the realization of authentic academic freedom in the Catholic University and thereby protects it from being functionalized and instrumentalized in the ways typical of the modern secular research university. To summarize, insofar as the positive freedom for excellence is ordered toward and achieves the realization of the final end of the human intellect, and insofar as authentic academic freedom is the positive freedom for excellence, academic freedom is ordered toward and achieves the full realization of the human intellect and is secured and defended by its intrinsic teleological orientation toward the truth. In short, it is nothing but the truth that as talus of all genuinely academic activity best protects and fosters authentic academic freedom. Authentic academic freedom is corrupted and eventually destroyed when it is severed from the truth and misunderstood as an instantiation of the typically modern freedom of indifference the consequent replacement of truth with utility and the subsequent transformation of the artes liberales into the artes serviles. In short, the transformation of the university into a polytechnicum with a liberal arts appendix. After having considered the nature of the university, which is the nature of the Catholic university, and the nature of authentic academic freedom in distinction from the merely negative freedom, uh, from indifference and the inauthentic freedom, sorry, um, I need to repeat that sentence. After having considered the nature of the university, which is the nature of the Catholic university, and the nature of authentic academic freedom in distinction from the merely negative academic freedom from uh, interference and the inauthentic freedom of indifference, we can now turn to the question, what is revealed truth? Excorde Ecclesia states, a Catholic university's privileged task is to unite existentially by intellectual effort two orders of reality that too frequently tend to be placed in opposition as though they were antithetical, the search for truth and the certainty of already knowing the found of truth." Unquote. The university discipline for which the certainty of already knowing the found of truth is an essential property is, of course, Catholic theology. And one way of characterizing the unique position of Catholic theology in relation to all other university disciplines is the contrast between the possession of ultimate truth versus the search for ultimate truth. Catholic theology possesses already the truth as revealed while all the other disciplines find themselves in an effort-deepening search for it. This characterization is correct as long as one understands that the relationship of revealed truth to Catholic theology is emphatically not one of a positivist datum, the sheer givenness of facticity that would grant theology the rights of ownership, analogous to those we hold over commodities of our own. On the contrary, the relationship of revealed truth to Catholic theology is that of a donum, a gift that puts theology into the position of recipient. Therefore, the relationship of Catholic theology to revealed truth 
is emphatically not the critical conceptual dominium a misplaced Wissenschaftlichkeit exercises over revealed truth, but rather one of intellectual stewardship, procuratio, in relationship to the gift of revealed freedom, of revealed truth. Revealed truth is received in divine faith that itself is a gift of grace, a donum, and emphatically neither an empirical datum to be simply acknowledged as a fact, nor an epistemic, epistemic dominium over God. Furthermore, revealed truth is simultaneously given and transcendent. As transcendent, revealed truth surpasses the confines of our knowledge. As revealed, it is received according to the mode of the human knower. Revealed truth as revealed is essentially testimony about God received from God. As given in communication, it necessarily takes propositional form, whether as narrative or as argument. Furthermore, revealed truth is not had without the instrumental causality of ideational, discursive, magisterial, doctrinal, and liturgical sacramental mediation and specification. Catholic theology depends directly on three sources by way of which it receives these specifications of revealed truth. The Holy Scriptures, sacred tradition, and magisterial doctrinal specification. These three form an interdependent unit whose parts work together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, Dei Verbum, the Council Fathers of the Second Vatican Council put it thus, quote, in the supremely wise arrangement of God, sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the magisterium of the church are so connected and associated that one of them cannot stand without the others. Unquote. Revealed truth is of a kind that is always first and foremost suffered, undergone, and as such actively received. As stated above, the Blessed Virgin is the paradigm of how revealed truth is rightly received, actively received, precisely as suffered, as undergone. Revealed truth is testimony that is always qua testimony propositional. Yet revealed truth remains at the same time transcendent truth. Its propositionality does not reduce its transcendence to the sheer facticity of conveyed information. It does not reduce the spirit to the latter but rather conveys the spirit by way of the latter and transcendence by way of propositionality. The propositionality characteristic of inspired testimony is the very conduit of the transcendence of revealed truth. Revealed truth has its acme and sender in the incarnate logos, the word of God made flesh. Analogous to the hypostatic union of the human and divine natures in the person of the Logos, the Son of God, where the human nature of Christ has a specific created historical concreteness, also divine truth, qua revealed truth, has a distinct propositional concreteness as it is received by and into the faith of the Church, a created concreteness that is opposite to the way knowledge is received in the human knower. Yet at the same time, revealed truth has an inexhaustible depth of surpassing transcendence, irreducible to the empiricist datum of mere historical facticity and impervious to the proud epistemic 
dominium of critical rationalism. In Catholic theology, authentic academic freedom cannot be realized, of course, in the flight from the testimonial propositionality of revealed truth into an essentially transpropositional apophatic religious transcendence or into a primordial and essentially pre-propositional religious subjectivity. Nor, for that matter, can authentic academic freedom in Catholic theology be realized in the flight from magisterial authority. Rather, and this is my third thesis, authentic academic freedom in Catholic theology is realized precisely in the fidelity to the testimonial propositionality of revealed truth as conveyed by sacred scripture and sacred tradition and as specified by the, by the magisterium of the church. The flight of Catholic theology into a purely negative academic freedom from interference, where the magisterium of the church, or more fundamentally even the very testimonial propositionality of revealed truth, is taken to be an interference into a positivist or historicist Wissenschaftlichkeit that is incongruous with the very subject matter of Catholic theology, simply amounts to the abandonment of authentic academic freedom and hence to the self-abolition of Catholic theology as a properly academic university discipline. What is true for the integral part is also true for the whole. Therefore, what is true for Catholic theology is also true for the Catholic university. A Catholic university is academic in the proper sense of the word insofar as it realizes that its relationship to the supreme truth as mediated by the church is essential to its institutional identity and that therefore, to quote ex corde ecclesiae, the institutional fidelity of the university to the Christian message includes a recognition of and adherence to the teaching authority of the church in matters of faith and morals." Unquote. In short, the realization of academic freedom in Catholic theology as well as in the institutional identity of the Catholic university stands and falls with a proper reception of and fidelity to revealed truth. We have reached the opposite point to consider finally the relationship of revealed truth to authentic academic freedom as realized in academic disciplines other than Catholic theology. That cannot be left off. The relationship of revealed truth to authentic academic freedom realized in other academic disciplines is governed by the fundamental principle of the Catholicity of truth, namely that truth cannot contradict truth. When things are in good order in a Catholic university, revealed truth quite obviously informs Catholic theology formally and materially. It informs the liturgical life as well as the core curriculum. It informs existentially all academicians by way of what is called the formation of conscience. It informs critically by way of Catholic theology the moral suppositions antecedent to and consequent upon the humanistic studies and the applied sciences. In this way, via a truly academic Catholic theology, revealed truth protects, secures and strengthens the exercise of authentic academic freedom in other university disciplines. In short, when things are in good order in a Catholic university, revealed truth as believed, taught, liturgically celebrated and lived 
informs all operations of the university. In the words of Excorde Ecclesiae, in a Catholic university, Catholic ideals, attitudes, and principles penetrate and inform university activities in accordance with the proper nature and autonomy of these activities. In a word, being both a university and Catholic, it must be both a community of scholars representing various branches of human knowledge and an, and an academic institution in which Catholicism is vitally present and operative. It is needless to say that Catholic theology and philosophy play a central role in the curriculum as well as in the intellectual life of such a university. For it is in the dialogue between these two paradigmatically academic disciplines that the Catholicity of truth is reflected upon explicitly and the nature of authentic academic freedom articulated and defended. Excorda Ecclesia states explicitly, quote, aided by the specific contributions of philosophy and theology, university scholars will be engaged in a constant effort to determine the relative place and meaning of each of the various disciplines within the context of a vision of the human person and, the and of the world that is enlightened by the gospel and therefore by a faith in Christ, the Logos, as the center of creation and of human history." Unquote. It is also needless to say that if a Catholic university were to banish Catholic theology and philosophy from its core curriculum, and even from the university itself, it would thereby forego its commitment to the Catholicity of truth. Indeed, it would simply decapitate itself. Unsurprisingly, therefore, Ex Corde Ecclesia recommends, quote, because of its specific importance among the academic disciplines, every Catholic university should have a faculty or at least a chair of theology, unquote. Conflict between revealed truth and authentic academic freedom may arise from the failure of disciplines other than Catholic theology to realize their respective properly academic nature. Recall that academic denotes also a critical methodological awareness of the nature, integrity, and limitations of a discipline, and an awareness of the limitations of knowledge respective to the discipline, to the disciplinary object of study, in any given university discipline. Such a failure to realize the probably academic nature of a particular discipline might consist in indifference to the Catholicity of truth, in the confusion of science with scientism, in the replacement of philosophy in its perennial sense with a modus of ideology, characteristic of not a few things that presently go under the label of philosophy, or in the reduction of humanistic studies to historicism, to genealogy or to a branch of neuroscience. This conflict can, of course, be exacerbated by Catholic theology itself when it abandons its respective, probably academic nature, which includes essentially fidelity to the revealed truth. Exactly at the very moment when Catholic theology reduces itself to Christian religious studies, that is when it embraces and internalizes the unfitting and hence unacademic norm of positivist or historicist Wissenschaftlichkeit, does it forego fidelity to the revealed truth and concomitantly authentic academic freedom. Received, interpreted, and defended well by Catholic theology, 
reveal truth in virtue of its transcendence and in virtue of its testimonial propositionality, opens up the horizon of the Catholicity of truth and thereby encourages other university disciplines to realize their properly academic nature and thereby their authentic academic freedom. Reciprocally, insofar as the other university disciplines realize their properly academic nature and thereby contribute to the Catholicity of truth, they encourage Catholic theology to search ever more deeply the revealed truth and increasingly unfold its surpassing riches. By being maximally academic and by realizing thereby authentic academic freedom and thus giving witness to the Catholicity of truth, the Universitas Scientiarum assists Catholic theology in realizing its own academic, authentic academic freedom. In conclusion, in Excorde Ecclesiae, Catholic universities have a great gift that secular universities lack. Compared to Catholic universities, secular universities, especially advanced research universities, are like orphaned children who do not know where they come from nor where they are going. And when upwardly mobile Catholic universities eager to catch up with the leading secular research universities eventually leave behind their institutional identity as Catholic university, they will all too soon begin to suffer from the same condition that ails the secular research universities. The absence of a proper unifying teleology and hence the absence of authentic academic freedom. You might recall the astute observation Alastair McIntyre made some years ago, namely that the administrative leaders of major Catholic universities in the United States, quote, are for the most part hell-bent on imitating their prestigious secular counterparts, which already imitate one another. So we find Notre Dame glancing nervously at Duke, only to catch Duke in the act of glancing nervously at Princeton. Unquote. Catholic universities, mindful of their Catholic identity, of which the Catholicity of truth is an integral component, are protected from this fate of mindless imitation. For Catholic universities receive the gift of accountability from the revealed truth by way of the church. They are called by the church to nothing less than to the exercise of authentic academic freedom. In short, the Catholic university is called to live out a truth that is as demanding as it is beautiful, namely that fidelity to the revealed truth does not contradict, but rather perfects authentic academic freedom. Thank you for your attention. I wish to respond briefly, first by summarizing some of the salient points he made in addressing three essential questions concerning the Catholic University, academic freedom, and revealed truth and how it relates to authentic academic freedom. And then I will offer a few comments and reflections, some rather unremarkable remarks, related first to the, uh, the questions of Catholic University and academic freedom, and then also to uh, revealed truth and the new evangelization. First, as to the nature of a Catholic university, Dr. Huter began by referencing the Carnegie taxonomy, the cartographers who place a high value on the dual priorities 
of very high institutional research and endowment, but contributes nothing to a proper definition of what is meant by a university. Along the way, Dr. Huter also offered a gentle caveat to those upwardly mobile colleges that strive after university status by way of an institutional right redefinition according to which, in fact, has become, the, has become a somewhat vague and artificial norm, especially for schools no longer acknowledging or searching for universal truth. Second, as to what constitutes authentic academic freedom, Dr. Huter makes an important distinction between two notions of freedom. First, he points to freedom in a positive sense, freedom for excellence, which participates in the Gaudium de Veritate, that line from Augustine that is referred to by John Paul in Ex Corde Ecclesiae. Second, he refers to the more common notion of freedom in the negative sense, a freedom of indifference which merely seeks to be free from any external authority, from interference that might impede the pursuit of that sort of knowledge, which often is not truth at all as much as it is techne. He shows how this positive freedom, such as we find in the classical tradition of the liberal arts as distinct from the servile arts, must be derived from the properly philosophical character of knowledge. Dr. Huter goes on to show how authentic academic freedom then is realized even more in Catholic theology precisely by means of the intellectus fidei, that active suffering and embrace of the fullness of faith as received from God by revelation, incarnation, and inspiration, for which he finds the Blessed Virgin's fiat as the model. I was uh, reminded of what uh, Pope Benedict wrote in the third volume of his trilogy on Jesus of Nazareth and contrasting the twin Annunciation narratives in Luke 1, where Zechariah hears from the angel Gabriel and says, how shall I know? And then the Blessed Virgin asks, how shall this be? It is doubt versus wonder. And she exemplifies that sort of wonder that leads to true wisdom. In sum, authentic academic freedom depends on the Catholicity of universal truth, but also on the universality of Catholic revealed truth. So third, as to what is meant by revealed truth in a Catholic university setting, Dr. Huter quotes from a crucial section of Ex Corde Ecclesiae, which refers to how a Catholic university's privileged task is to unite existentially by intellectual effort two orders of reality. The two frequently tend to be placed in opposition, the search for truth and the certainty of already knowing the fount of truth, close quote. So revealed truth beckons the theologian to accept a divine donum, a gift, not merely empirical data, and certainly not critical conceptual dominum, where we dominate the mysteries of faith. And yet the challenge for theologians is that revealed truth cannot be had apart from what he refers to as the instrumental causality of discursive, magisterial, doctrinal, liturgical, sacramental mediation and specification, close quote. Note to Bene then, it is not merely magisterial authority, but what Pope Benedict refers to as the authority of mystery, which is Christological and Eucharistic. In brief, Dr. Huter warns against the flight of Catholic theology into a purely negative academic freedom from magisterial interference. At the same time, he insists that revealed truth must not merely inform Catholic theology, but also shape the curriculum, perhaps even more, the liturgical life of the university community. 
Quote, in short, when things are in good order in a Catholic university, revealed truth as believed, taught, liturgically celebrated, and lived informs all operations of the university. And now some comments and reflections on these three topics. First, reflections on what it means to be a Catholic university, especially in the face of this loss of vision and identity for so many institutions of higher learning that were once Catholic. What can be done with so many secularized institutions which have turned their back not just on Jerusalem, but also on Athens? Not just revealed theology, but the very notion of universal truth and wisdom itself. As Roger Scruton observes, quote, such institutions once destroyed cannot be recreated, close quote. As Wittgenstein, as Wittgenstein said, receiving, reviving a tradition is like trying to repair a spider's web with your bare hands. In the fourth article of Ex Cordia Ecclesia, we read, it is the honor and responsibility of a Catholic university to consecrate itself without reserve to the cause of truth. This is its way of serving at one and the same time both human dignity and the good of the church, which has an intimate conviction that truth is its real ally and that knowledge and reason are sure ministers to faith, quoting John Henry Newman. It goes on, by means of a kind of universal humanism, a Catholic university is completely dedicated to the research of all aspects of truth in their essential connection with the supreme truth, who is God. It does this without fear, but rather with enthusiasm, dedicating itself to every path of knowledge, aware of being preceded by him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Close quote. And that language of the university consecrating itself for the cause of truth, of course, echoes the words at the climax of Jesus' own high priestly prayer in John 17, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in truth. Verse 19. I think we also ought to pause and just reflect upon the effects of the Land of Lakes Conference and the statement that we trace all the way back to July of 1967. That statement drawn up and signed by a group of leading Catholic educators led by University of Notre Dame President Father Hesburgh had as its purpose defining the relationship between the modern Catholic university and the church on the one hand and American culture and intellectual life on the other. Described by historian Philip Gleason as, quote, a declaration of independence from the hierarchy, close quote, the Land O'Lakes Statement provoked a decades-long debate over the character of American Catholic higher education. And now, almost a half century later, it is clear that the manifesto effectively divorced a great many Catholic universities from the church especially its teaching authorities, setting in motion a dramatic decline in the Catholic identity of so many American institutions of higher education. Perhaps this outcome was neither accidental nor unexpected. Indeed, it was desired, then sought, and attained. It was the public expression of an organized strategy for the deconstruction of the res catholica, a strategy whose success is now evident especially in the freshman classes of too many Catholic colleges and universities where students manifest a total, a total unfamiliarity with, a uniform disinterest in, and a disaffection from the Catholic tradition in all too many cases. However, the solution to the contemporary degeneration of the Catholic university into polytechnical, of pragmatic tyranny, is not merely a better natural effort 
to recognize the possibility of knowing truth and pursuing it and rejoicing in it, but the need of natural reason to be healed and restored by supernatural grace, the grace of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, without which there is no practical escape from the regnant relativism and pragmatism Professor Huter so masterfully diagnoses. This reminds me of the anemic side of American Catholicism, as Christian Smith and others have described it, which in fact predates the Land of Lakes Agreement in 1967. It's an accommodationist mentality that minimizes Catholic distinctiveness while maximizing popular convergent American values. I found an alternate vision of our complex reality, not only in Professor Huter's paper, but in another article as well, which I quote, where he writes, the order of reason is itself a theonomic order of a de facto supernatural orientation that variously participates in the eternal law, that is, divine reason, and includes both nature and grace. Because the human being is inescapably a rational animal, attempting to abdicate from the theonomic order of reason is not concomitant with embracing some natural innocence or freedom but rather, in fact, is concomitant with sinning." Close quote. More urgently than all this is the fact that universal knowledge is both for its own sake and for the sake of knowing Christ, as we find throughout our Catholic tradition, particularly in the works of holy luminaries such as Augustine, De Doctrina, and Bonaventure's De Redaxione. Knowledge for its own sake is naturally perfective, but it is a necessary preparation for the gospel for contemplative knowledge of Christ and the Trinity. And this is the proper end or telos of the university which is born in the heart of the church and which exists not merely for the natural perfection of humans, but for their supernatural elevation and salvation and the glory of God. Only in this way can the Catholic university serve the mission of Christ in its own special and singular fashion and advance the common good for all. Brief reflections now on academic freedom. I'm going to cut through some things here and just look quickly at um, some material that I found in my study of the Greek term eleutheria as it's found in the New Testament, especially used by St. Paul in the fourth gospel, drawing from an article by Heinrich Schlier in Kittel's Vortebuch. We find eleutheria belongs to a different dimension of thought than how we use the word freedom. With this term, the New Testament writers do not in any way express the idea of freedom of choice and therefore do not express the possibility of people doing or allowing whatever they want. Rather, eleutheria is the opposite of the concept of the life of a slave. It's the expression for the status of full membership with full rights in a family. The free man is the person who is at home, who really belongs to the house. Ratzinger observes likewise, quote, considered biblically, Freedom is something other than indeterminacy. It is participation, not just participation in some particular social structure, but participation in being itself. Hence, the education of freedom is being led into this exaltation of being. And Ratzinger concludes, into theosis, into being made divine, partakers of the divine nature. And so the education of love as education of theosis is necessarily the education of the cross which does not for nothing form the key concept of Paul's doctrine of freedom, close quote. And this, of course, is echoed, in, is, is echoed in familiar passages such as we find in Romans 8. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free, a Luther Rio said, from the law of sin and death. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty, Eleutheria, of the children of God. Or in Galatians, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir. For indeed, it is for freedom, Eleutheria, that Christ has set us free. Similarly, uh, the same, a similar sense can be found in the fourth gospel. Indeed, I'm presently teaching a graduate course on the Gospel of John, where Jesus makes this promise, oft quoted, but notice its very conditional terms. Quote, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, the slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Again, Eleutheria. Some reflections on revealed truth. As to the importance of revealed truth for a Catholic university, especially for those doing theology, I'm reminded of the words of Father Emil Mersch, who wrote, and I quote, Theology differs from other sciences in that it deals with a doctrine which, besides being a fact, is also a person. Its proper and scientific method must therefore include contemplation of the person as well as reflection on the fact." Close quote. When faith properly seeks understanding, the gift of natural reason is used not less, but more effectively and reverently. We cannot afford to trifle with the divine gift of reason. At the same time, Catholic universities in general and theological faculties in particular cannot allow themselves to be intimidated by the narrowness of a secularist vision that now dominates most major universities, even some theology departments. As Reinhard Huter observes elsewhere, quote, the order of reason is indeed a theonomic order of de facto supernatural orientation. And so we need to remember that. Final, uh, some final reflections on the new evangelization. George Weigel recently came here and said the following, Catholic universities must be deeply steeped in the word of God. And then he called us to participate in the church of the new evangelization, calling faculty and students to, quote, be the missionary disciples you were baptized to be. A few years ago, Pope Benedict addressed Catholic educators at Catholic University of America on April 17th in 2008, and he wrote, education is integral to the mission of the church to proclaim the good news. First and foremost, every Catholic educational institution is a place to encounter the living God, who in Jesus Christ reveals his transforming love and truth. He continues, a university or school's Catholic identity is not simply a question of the number of Catholic students or faculty. It's rather a question of conviction. Do we really believe that only in the mystery of the word made flesh does the mystery of humanity truly become clear? Do we accept the truth that Christ reveals? Is that faith tangible in our universities? Is it given fervent expression liturgically, sacramentally, through prayer, acts of charity, a concern for justice and respect for God's creation? From this perspective, he concludes, one can recognize that the contemporary crisis of truth is rooted in a crisis of faith. 
He also said to the educators there at CUA, quote, the church's primary mission of evangelization in which educational institutions play a crucial role. Echoing what Ex Cordia Ecclesia has to say, where we hear, as a natural expression of the Catholic identity of the university, the university community should give a practical demonstration of its faith in its daily activity. In conclusion, I would say that what we experience here, far from being perfect, nevertheless, represents a real attempt and a blessed effort to achieve this identity as a Catholic university, pursuing authentic academic freedom in the context of revealed truth that elevates us all. Indeed, by its very nature, each and every Catholic university is called to make such an important contribution to the church's work of evangelization and to strive to give institutional witness to Christ and his message so vitally important and needed by cultures marked by secularism. Thank you very much. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.